Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Those of you that are in person, those of you that are joining us online, thanks for giving up an hour of your Sunday with us. As the video said, my name's Tim. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And truly, if there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know whether you're here in person or you're watching online. If you are here in person, I'd love to just thank you for being here and say hi after the service. I'll be right through these doors. Uh, today, I just want to let you know we are concluding a series of messages. This is week seven that we've been on. We've been going through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And so if this is your first time ever at Shepherd's Gate or you're watching online at Shepherd's Gate, I want to let you know right up front, this is going to be a little bit different sermon, okay? Because uh, today we are going to cover six chapters of the Bible, okay? For those of you that call this place home, this is going to be a little bit different Sunday morning than it has been the last six weeks. And so if you are a guest, I would just encourage you to go back and watch some of the messages that we've already done in this series or come back next week for Holy Week. And uh, we would just love to have you continue to see if this is a place that God would have you call home. And so today, uh, we're going to be going through Daniel chapter 7, verse 12. And I'm going to give you three things at the end of this message. Three things that are really important. Because this is going to be, I'm just going to be honest with you, it's going to be really deep. And so I hope you all got a good night's sleep last night, okay? I hope you all, you're the 1045, you've had two or three cups of coffee at this point, right? The lights are a little bit brighter in here. You just want to sit up in your seat because we are going to go deep, but it's going to be for your benefit. I really believe that God is going to speak to you today, and uh, you are going to see how we can get through six chapters in one Sunday morning. It's going to be incredible because God can do anything, right? Amen? <laughs> All right, so this is what I told you week one. In chapters one and six of Daniel, uh, they are actually considered historical record. Now, that's important. That's why we were able to spend six weeks on it. There's real accounts of real people at real places in a time in history, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, from Belshazzar to King Darius, all of those people that we've been learning about the last six weeks. And literally, think about this. We have read through, as a church, every single verse of six chapters of Daniel. Well, chapters 7 and 12 of Daniel, the second half, are considered prophetic literature. Well, what does prophetic literature mean? Pro prophecy is what the word derives from, actually means predicting the future. And so a lot of people think, well, that's what it is. Prophecy is just that. But it's actually way more than just predicting the future. It also means proclaiming God's word, which means all of Scripture is actually prophetic because it all, at the end of the day, ultimately points to Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. But in that, there are certain books of the Bible that, ha that really truly focus on prophecy. And so some of the prophecies, some of the prophetic messages are for their day and age and what's going to happen in their time. Some of it is what's going to happen in the future, the things that haven't happened yet. And so in our Bibles, there's actually five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then our beloved Daniel that we've been on. There's also 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Right? Oh, you guys are revved up this morning. Okay, good. They are not minor to these guys. They're just shorter books of the Bible. Okay, so the only reason they're called majors because they're longer books. They're minor because they're shorter books. And then we have our buddy, the Apostle John, who is one of Jesus' closest followers. He wrote his own gospel account. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he is the one that wrote Revelation, which, you know, is a really sometimes difficult book to read. A lot of things that are in there, a lot of symbolism. People are trying to figure out what do all of these things mean because people want to know 
When is the world coming to an end? Are we in the last days? Are we living in the last days? And some of this I'm not going to answer for you. I'm going to let you develop as we go along. And so there's actually a real fancy word when you go to study the end times. It's called eschatology. So the eschatology is the study of the end times, which is how we're going to start the message today. And so this is why it's important in view of Daniel, because theologians, okay, guys that sit around, which have these huge white beards that hit the ground, right, and they study scripture, and they study scripture, and they study scripture, these are the two guys more than any of the other books that they focus on, and they often try to make correlations between what Daniel says in 7 through 12 and in verse 2 and Revelation, especially Revelation chapter 20. But before I do that, I do want to talk to you about people that do make predictions about the day and age that we live in. In fact, there's a book that was given to me when I studied in school, and if you didn't know, this is my background. I actually was born and raised in a denomination called the Assemblies of God. It's a Pentecostal denomination. And I went to school in Minneapolis, became an Assemblies of God pastor uh, before coming here to Shepherd's Gate and going through the process to become our denomination here, which is the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And so the book that I actually still have in my uh, study here at the church is this book. It's by Lester Summerall, and, it, and the book is called I Predict 2000 A.D. Do any of you happen to have this book? There was a couple of people at 9 o'clock that had it. Anybody familiar with Lester Summerall? Anybody have an Assemblies of God background? No, just, oh, you do. Thank you, my mother-in-law from Florida. Thank you. So <laughs> it's me and you today. All right. Do you know, do you have this book at home? Are you familiar with this guy was an amazing missionary. He visited so many countries, was unashamed to spread the gospel. He actually, his first book was called I Predict 1985. And then his predictions didn't come true. <laughs> so he wrote I Predict 2000, and unfortunately he died before the year 2000. So he didn't have to write a third book. <laughs> but again, I love this guy, I respect this guy, I've studied this guy. I just believe we need to be cautious we need to be careful, we need to be students of the word about always taking every scripture in the Bible and saying, yup, this is what it means, and having definitive answers for things. In fact, we would say here at Shepherd's Gate, it's okay to say there's some scriptures that we don't understand. There's some things that get a little fuzzy, get a little gray, and that's okay, because you're going to see at the end that God has, in fact, given us everything that we need to function on this earth. All right, so here we go. We're going to dive deep. You ready for this? There are actually four kind of main end times view in our culture and in the world today. And these four end time views are this, dispensational premillennialism. Say that five times fast, right? Then there's historic premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Now the nice part is you guys already know which one you are, right? What you believe. So I'll go ahead and give you two seconds to turn to your neighbor and tell them which of these four you and your family follow. Go ahead. A lot of head scratching out there. A lot of people, they didn't even turn to their spouse or the person sitting next to them. Which one of these does our church believe? Which one do we believe teach and confess as confessional Lutherans? anybody know? Whoa, a lot of different mixed responses out there. 
Well, here we go. Hopefully, you guys all bought your glasses. This chart will help you. Here's the first two. This is dispensational premillennialism and historic premillennialism. <laughs> Got it? Makes sense? Got it all figured out? Let me start with the first one, dispensational premillennialism. This is the number one end times view right now in America amongst evangelical churches. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind. Uh, this belief, when you dig deeper, when you start digging into this, started formulating around the late 1800s. So this hasn't been the prevailing view of the church for the last 2,000 years. In fact, it wasn't until the early 1900s that a man named Schofield, a theologian, wrote his own study Bible and started developing what you see on this chart. And so from Scripture, from Daniel, and from Revelation, this view says that there is going to be a secret return of Christ. Okay? I'm going to flip to this so this will help some of you. Some of you, you know this book and these movies. Who's this good-looking guy? How many of you have seen the movie? Yeah. How many of you were scared out of your mind when you were watching the movie? Right? So if you get on an airplane and the pilot is Christian <laughs> and there is a secret return of Christ, the Christians on the plane, they're fine because they're all going to heaven. Those that aren't Christians, that plane is crashing into the ground. If you were on a freeway and you're with hundreds of other cars and you're a Christian driver amongst other Christian drivers, you're all going to be fine because God's going to have this secret plan to remove you, but everybody that's not a Christian that's driving a car is going to experience your car running into their car, right? It's the same thing with these books. All of these books that have been written, millions and millions of books, millions and millions of dollars that have been made on this concept, premillennial dispensationalism, okay? And so there's a secret return of Christ. There's a seven-year tribulation where this Antichrist, okay, we don't know who that is, is going to rule. Armageddon, which is a war, remember this, so remember seven years, remember war. Then Christ comes back a second time. There's a visible return to Christ's return. There's a thousand years, a literal thousand years, where Christ will rule and reign on the earth. After he's done ruling and reigning for a thousand years, Satan gets this little tiny season, and then God does his ultimate judgment, and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Very closely assimilated with that is this historical premillennialism. But instead of a secret return of Christ, it's the return of Christ, but the thousand years is a literal thousand years. That there will be a literal thousand years. And they get this thousand years from Revelation chapter 20. And so again, as we watch these movies, as we read these books, as we look at this view of dispensational premillennialism. Now just so you know, I love this guy. I grew up on Growing Pains. Anybody else watch that show? Okay, I have nothing against him. A lot of you are watching his fireside chats. He's got like 100 days of bonfire chat on Facebook, whatever he's doing. I, don't, I haven't watched them. I don't know if he's getting into the end times. Is he getting into the end times, those of you that are watching it? No? Okay, good. So, you know, he's great. He's a nice guy, loves Jesus and all that. We just happen to have a different view of the end times. And so, as I said, remember, I grew up Assemblies of God, and so there's a lot of experiences that I've had in my life. Uh, part of the way that they evangelize is through productions, through theaters. And so churches are notorious in the Assemblies of God for putting on major productions. One of them, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, is called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Have any of you ever gone and seen a Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames production? All right, a couple hands going up. Some of you, even our friends down at Lakeside Assembly, right at Hall Road in Shaner, they'll put on productions. Oh, there we go. What was that one called? 
when you find out, just shout it out. It's fun. You'll, you'll, you don't have to Google it. You're fine. <laughs> the last church that I was at, the, the senior pastor had only been there a few years because he was actually an evangelist. And so he had an entire production that he would go. He would drive all over the U.S. His family lived in hotels. And they would put on productions like this. And the productions, just so you know, the major focus of these is Christ's secret return. It's the rapture. It's not the second coming of Christ. And so one of the productions that we did as a church, because obviously he had all of the materials to do this, was called The Day After Death. And the way that this production went was uh, he actually had a casket brought into the church. And he had the casket in the back of the church here, like this. So imagine this. You're, you come to the production. It's held Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Look, there's no aisle. Um, <laughs> and there's a casket, and he had these guys that, w- that had sunglasses on and dark suits. look like Secret Service guys. And they're slowly bringing this casket in, right? And there's these strobe lights going. There's red lights. The sound guy's got the, the you know, the, the subwoofers pounding. So you, you kind of get, get it, right? I, I should have had him cue the subwoofer. So it's like, <laughs> and you get to here, and you find out that his wife is actually in the casket. And she's microphoned, and she's gnawing at the casket, and she's screaming out at the top of her lungs because she's getting dragged into hell. And everyone's just like, what is going on? And then smoke machines go off, and we do a huge altar call, and all these people come to the altar, and it's all based on not wanting to get left behind. And I'll be honest with you, it was shortly after this that the pastor and I sat down because I was struggling internally. Like, I was just like, I don't know if this is, you know, jiving with my philosophy of ministry and whether I believe that God calls people to faith. Now, I'm not saying it can't be used. God can use any means possible. It was just difficult for me to keep buying into this idea of this rapture or that those that are left behind are going to get a second chance. Why am I basing my whole life on not wanting to get left behind? Why don't I base my whole life on what Christ has done for me on the cross and through the empty tomb? And so, believe it or not, I resigned my position and I didn't have another position or another church or another call. And so for four months, I was unemployed until this church in Shelby Township called Shepherd's Gate Church took pity on me Right, Mark, where are you at? Mark's over here, he was part of that. Pastor Craig's somewhere in here, he was part of that call committee. And they said, well, let's take a chance on this Assemblies of God guy. And that's the reason that I've been at Shepherd's Gate for 17 years. Well, listen, it's not, th- I'm just telling you my experience. Like, the, the kind of the journey that I've been on and, and what, how God has revealed things to me. But even when I came here, I was still a dispensational premillennialist because I didn't know any different. And I hadn't studied anything. And so they put me through this two-year program as I was working in student ministry. And I worked with Pastor Craig Meyer. I worked with Diane Jacobson. And then I began to do my own research and to dig into these different beliefs. And God, what is it that you do teach? What is it, what is it that you have for us in your word? And not only knowing the end times, but you're going to see how this actually dovetails into what we believe about baptism how it dovetails into what we believe about the Lord's Supper. But let me give you these last two. Postmillennialism, just so you know, is the least out of the four. There's only a few denominations that follow this. One is the Reformed Presbyterian, if any of you are from the Reformed Presbyterian. 
Um, they believe in a figurative thousand years just as amillennialists believe in a figurative thousand years. They just happen to believe that the world that we live in is going to get better. And so people are going to come to Christ by the tens of thousands of millions and billions, and then Christ will come back. I mean, you can't fault them for being optimistic, right? <laughs> the amillennialists, which this has been the belief of the church since the beginning. In fact, we share this with the Catholic Church. We share the amillennialist view uh, with the Catholic Church, which has been around for over 2,000 years, is that we are living in the tribulation. And that the thousand years, that it's figurative. It's not a literal thousand years. And sometimes when you start to look at this and you scratch your head and you go, well, I live in America, and my life, even through a pandemic, has been pretty comfortable. Right? I, I, we, somehow we still have water and food and clothes and we have, oh, there he is. I knew he was in here. Um, <laughs> sorry, it was like a squirrel moment with Pastor Craig. <laughs> God bless him, he's going to give peace, people communion. So we should give him a hand, he's going to go serve some people communion. <laughs> For those of you that are watching, you can do the drive-by. He, you just saw him do it. Um, Anyways, so this, is, so this has been the, the, the view of the church for, for nearly 2,000 years. And so as you dig more into this, as you begin to understand, okay, why would this be important? This is why. Most of both the major and minor prophets are written in poetry. Some of you are good at poetry in here. With its characteristic figurative, this is important, and picturesque language. So I went and I purposely found a verse that I knew would speak to the people of Shepherd's Gate, okay? <laughs> and my buddy Amos, chapter 9, verse 13 says, the mountains shall drip sweet wine. <laughs> is this literal or is it figurative? I told you I'm going to let you decide. Because if it's literal, there's going to be a whole lot of Lutherans going and getting their empty wine bottles and trying to find this mountain to stock up before Jesus comes back, right? Here's another one. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, what should you do with it? Pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, what should you do? Is that literal or is it figurative? Are you sure? Some people, I'm telling you this, some people in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we, we, we believe in the same cross, would say, no, that is literal. And sin is that serious. And if your eyes continuing to cause you to sin, pluck it out. If your hands cause you to sin, cut it off. Now, we wouldn't say that. We would say, we just think in this moment, Jesus told a lot of stories, a lot of parables. When he was teaching, sometimes he used figurative languages. That's why he talked about farming a lot, trees, all of those different things. And so, symbolic language of this kind is especially common, again, in the prophetic literature, and again, always going back to Daniel and Revelation, Daniel, Revelation, Daniel, and Revelation. And so, as promised, we are going to get through the last six chapters of Daniel. You ready? Daniel chapter 7. In my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me were four winds, four great beasts, and four kings. And people will debate and debate and debate and talk about what these four winds are, what these four great beasts are, and what these four kings are. And if you have a Lutheran study Bible, if you look down, it'll say, it may mean this. It could mean this. We don't actually know what it means. Chapter 8, 
I, Daniel, had a vision, and this is not new to us. He's been having visions all along throughout all of Daniel. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. Okay, there's a ram, and there's a goat. And people will say the ram absolutely means this. The goat absolutely means this. The ram is this person. The goat is this person. The ram is this country. The goat is this country. And they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We would say we're not really sure. It wasn't really made clear to us what the ram and the goat actually represent. Chapter 9, I, Daniel, understanding from the scriptures, 70 sevens. There's your sevens, right? And that's in Romans chapter 20, are decreed for your people. And so this seven, some people will, in my opinion, just obsess about it, and they get so focused and honed in on it, rather than just letting it sit there and be like, okay, this is what you have for me, and I can read it, but I don't know if there's anything in here that actually goes beyond that. Then it goes on in verse 10. See how we're getting through this? In the third year, a revelation, again, prophecy, was given to Daniel. Its message was true concerning a great war. Well, what war? A war in Daniel's time? A war after Daniel's time? Has the war already been fought? Is this the great Armageddon war with the premillennial dispensationalists? What war are you talking about, Daniel? All we know is that it came to him in a vision. What is it? Not sure. So this is what brings us to this point today. What do you absolutely need to know today and tomorrow and for the rest of your time here on earth? So I was going to give you three things at the beginning of the message. What do you think? In all of this, what is most important for your life? What have we been talking about for the last six weeks, right? God has given us all we need to know him. And again, if there's things in scripture that are a little fuzzy and a little complicated and there's different views and things like that, okay, We can study it, we can dig into it, but at the end of the day, everything that you and I need to live our lives, to to be in our marriages, to raise our families, to live in society, are found in God's holy word. In fact, he he didn't just give us one or two or three, he gave us four gospel writers to tell us about his birth, his time here on the earth, his death, and his ultimate resurrection from the tomb. Why would he do that? Because those are the things that are most important. Because in the end of the day, all scripture ultimately points to Jesus. All of scripture, no matter what it is. People will tell you that Daniel's kind of a foreshadowing of Christ. Remember last week as he's rolled into the lion's den and the the stone is rolled over the lion's den and the the seal from the the ruler at the time, very similar to Jesus in the tomb. Could that be what's happening there? Yes. Could it not be? Sure, we're just glad that we have both accounts, Daniel getting saved from the lion's den, Jesus being resurrected from the tomb. All scripture, at the end of the day, ultimately points to Jesus. It's God's love letter to you and to me. And then this is so important. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And here's here's, here's what's so important. When he does, it's over. It's over. Think about this. You don't have to watch the Left Behind movies. (laughs) You don't have to read the Left Behind books. You don't have to go to the drums or any of those things because when he comes back, it's finished once and for all. And he is going to, and you're going to see how it's played out in Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. 
at that time, there will be a time of distress, thus has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, God, your people, the people of God, everyone whose name is found written in the book, this is God's book, Book of Life, will be delivered. He's going to deliver his people. He's not concerned about the political climate in our country or the things happening around our world. He's going to deliver his people. Multitudes who sleep in the dust, those who are dead of the earth, will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And this sounds an awful like what God said to us in 1 Thessalonians. And I want you to hear these words. This is what we need to hear today. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Do you see this? I mean, he's coming down, he's not coming down in quiet or in secret. He's coming down with the worship team, right? I mean, he's coming down, there's gonna be a lot of noise. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, to be able to see him face to face, think of that, and so shall we be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. And Paul actually ends this passage by saying, encourage one another with these words. He got this inspiration from God because they were asking him questions. And so the reason he wrote 1 Thessalonians was to respond to their questions. And just like you and I, they had questions about the end times. When is this going to end? When is this all going to be over? When is Jesus coming back? Isn't that what we all want to know? And again, that's what happens is sometimes we get too tripped up in that. And sometimes people want to predict when that's going to happen and say it's going to be on this day or this hour. But this is what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says about that moment in time. That day or hour, what? Okay, Jesus. If no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. You think that they might get tipped in on it, right? (laughs) Nor the Son, but only the Father. And he sits patiently waiting from the nod from God the Father to go and to get his church. And so what is our obligation? What is he calling us to do? Do what? You, you be ready. Be ready for his second coming. Not a secret rapture. Not living in fear. Not having to dedicate and rededicate and rededicate and rededicate your life. I remember those moments. I remember I was like, man, what if I'm driving in a car and I swear right before I get in a car accident and die? Is God going to let me come into his kingdom? No, God's grace and his mercy covers you. He calls you by name. He created you. He loves you, even in your sin-filled, drenched life that we all live in, including me. His grace and his mercy far exceeds anything that we could ever hope or imagine because we don't participate in our salvation. He has done everything for us. I don't need to decide to follow Jesus because Jesus decided that I should follow him, and I responded to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that he has, in fact, blessed me and my family with. It's amazing because it says the Son of Man is going to come at an hour. And we keep predicting years. Well, in this year, well, in this why? He said, we don't even know the hour when you do not expect him. And so this is the reality for us today. Is that as followers of Jesus, we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. The now that Jesus has done everything for us. He was already born. 
He already lived the perfect life. He already died on the cross. He already rose from the dead. He has defeated sin, death, and the devil for us. And literally, we are in the period of history, of human history, God's history, that he orchestrates when we're just waiting for him to get the nod to come back and to get his church. Amen? So look at this. This is how we're going to end. We're going to end with the last chapter. Told you we'd get there this morning. Daniel chapter 12, in verse 6. I love this because the person is asking, how long will it be before these astounding things are fulfilled? Everyone constantly asks that question. But this is the answer. This is the absolute last verse in Daniel. Uh, Verse 13, it says, As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. Continue to live a godly life. You know this. We look at these scriptures all the time, right? Uh, Live your life in view of who Christ says you are. Live your marriage in view Christ says your marriage should be. Lead your family in the way that Christ says you should lead your family. Stop getting distracted by the world. Stop getting distracted by all the controversies and all the other things that are building up around us. Live your life till the end, keeping your eyes fixed on God, and you shall rest. This is him telling, hey, Daniel, just so you know, you're going to die. So you're not going to be part of this. And then you're going to stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And God says the same thing to you today. Go your way. Live peaceful and quiet lives so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you won't be dependent on anyone. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. We, as followers of Jesus, we live quiet lives, not loud and obnoxious lives. And we share with people. We share with people in our congregation. We share with people in our community because we want them to know the hope they can have in Jesus. And what an incredible opportunity we have this next week as we begin Holy Week, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Please don't pass up the opportunity to invite someone to hear the greatest week that ever took place on this earth, Holy Week, Jesus' week, from him getting on a donkey and going toward the, the, the walls of Jerusalem and into Jerusalem, from him sharing a meal with his disciples, washing their feet to the garden, to being hung on a cross, to ultimately the empty tomb. Let's not keep this to ourselves. Let's invite as many people as possible, whether we invite them in person or we invite them online. And let's continue to wait until that day when Christ calls us home and we can leave the troubles of this world behind and we can be with Jesus forever. Amen.